0: <clears throat> the world, the world, uh, would be happy if we would just stop talking about Jesus. It'd be happier if we would just stop talking about Jesus. They, they prefer that we not talk about Jesus. and if we feel like we absolutely must talk about Jesus, then maybe we could just make up a fake Jesus. That everybody will be happy with. One that, that is according to our own imagination and according to our own desires. So stop talking about Jesus. Especially stop talking about the real Jesus. The Jesus according to the scriptures. Let's try and find a Jesus that we're, we're more comfortable with. But we can't do that. We cannot stop talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the only one who can save us. Too many of us are, are too willing to stop talking about Jesus or to maybe come up with a Jesus that is more palatable for the world. But we cannot stop talking about Jesus, about the real Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone to be saved. And he is the one who has commanded us to stop, to, to keep on speaking this truth, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And so that's what I hope you'll see today. We cannot stop talking about Jesus because Jesus is the only way for anyone, anywhere, ever to be saved. Today we'll be in Acts 4. What I want you to see first is no other name. No other name. Acts 4, no other name. Let's look at Acts 4. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Acts 4, verses 1 through 12. That's what it says. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You are looking there in verse 1, we're kind of picking up in the middle of the story. Peter and John were going to the temple, and on the way to the temple, they had seen this man who had been crippled from birth. And they, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ... They grabbed this man by the hand and he rose and he walked and he went with them leaping into the temple. Now that gathers a big crowd and they are preaching this crowd. They're preaching good news. They're telling people that they need to repent of their sins. They need to repent of their wickedness. That God is turning them away from their wickedness. That there is a way for their sins to be blotted out. That God will no more remember their sins. But not everybody is happy about good news. There are some in the high priest. The the priest, the captain of the guard, the captain of the temple is kind of like the second in command after the high priest. He's responsible for keeping order in the temple. And he's not happy about it. And and a lot of the high priestly family were from uh, this sect of the Jews called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. A lot of of people, notably the Pharisees, believed in the resurrection of the dead uh, based upon especially on someplace like Daniel 12, which talks about in the end there being the resurrection of the, the living and the dead, that they would be raised up. Uh, there would be the judgment of the wicked and the salvation of the righteous, that everyone would be raised from the dead. Sadducees didn't believe that. They believed you were dead and, and that was it. So they're, they're upset for two reasons. Number one, there are these guys who are preaching in the temple who are not authorized. Nobody, nobody gave them permission to do this. And not only are they preaching in an unauthorized way but they are preaching about Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. That's a big problem because the resurrection of Jesus Christ and salvation in Jesus Christ is a, is a pointer toward the resurrection of everybody who believes in Jesus Christ at the end. So you have unauthorized preachers preaching about something that they are not authorized to preach about. So they, they, they're annoyed, verse 2, they are greatly annoyed and see that Jesus is, is being preached as resurrected from the dead. Now, I'm th- just thinking about the time frame here. They've probably been preaching at least a couple of hours. I would, I would guess that they go up at about 3 p.m. They're preaching until the evening, at least a couple of hours, maybe more. So they put them in custody, and they, they arrest them, and they put them in prison. But look at verse 4. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. You know, one of the things that, that Peter had kept on talking about as the response that was called for from the people was repentance. Repentance is turning toward God, turning away from our sin, turning away from our hostility toward God. The, the same kind of hostility toward God that had led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We, we turn away from that. We turn toward God. Now, what goes along with repentance is believing the message, believing the good news. And so it talks about those who believe. So uh, on the one hand, Peter can say something like, repent, because God is turning you away from your wickedness. Later on in the book of Acts, uh, Paul can say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. They they go together. Repentance and believing go together. The -the on-the-spot response of everyone who wants to be saved is to believe the good news about Jesus Christ raised from the dead and turn from their sins. Now, sometimes in in churches, there will be something usually at the end of the service called a response time. Uh, Some of those response times are not so bad, and some are uh, terribly confusing and and harmful because they're, they're indicating that there is some other response required besides simply believing the message and repenting. But I want to tell you, right here at the beginning of the sermon. If at any point you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe that he is raised from the dead, you believe, you you trust in him to save you from your sins, to forgive your sins. If you believe in him, if you turn from your old way of life and turn to living a new way of life, then you're saved. That is the -the on-the-spot response of everybody who hears the message of the good news. Now, there are other things that are going to come from that. Faith is going to produce good works, beginning with something that Peter's already mentioned. He's going to talk about baptism. We talk about good works. Those are the things that are going to show everybody else that you've repented and believed. But the -the on-the-spot response for everybody who is being saved is believe the message and repent. If you, when you speak to somebody about the gospel, you should tell them that they should Believe that message. They should believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They should believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. They should believe in Christ and be saved. You should tell them to repent. You might help them do a lot of other biblical helpful things. You might try to help them pray. You might encourage them to read their Bible. You might encourage them to uh, get together with the church. You might encourage them to do those things. But the, the thing that you need to do, the on-the-spot response that is required of them is to believe the message that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised from the dead and that we should repent of our old way of life and begin to live a whole new way of life of, of loving God and following Jesus Christ and believing in Him. Now, you can see that the number who believed was about 5,000 men. Some commentators estimate that, that this brings the number of believers in Jerusalem up to as many as 10,000 people in a city that is only maybe 100,000 people. You recognize that sometimes we, we focus a lot on the, the unfinished task of carrying the gospel to all peoples and all languages. And that's appropriate we also ought to be thankful for the way that God has already accomplished so much. I mean, right here in Jerusalem, within 50 or so, within a couple of months of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, here is this core remnant of Jewish believers that God has brought up out of Israel. The same way that the Old Testament prophesied about, same thing that Paul talks about when he talks about that there is a remnant of believers that have been saved in Romans 9 and Romans 11. God has saved. God has fulfilled his plan. God is fulfilling his plan. One of the reasons that we, that we can trust that there will indeed be people ransomed from every tribe and language and people is because God has already fulfilled so much of his plan. We have so much confidence in going out and continuing the work because God has already accomplished so much through our work. Don't get tired of laboring for God. Don't get tired of working for God because God is working through us. He has worked through believers from the very beginning and he is, key, he is still working through us. You have 10,000 or so believers, Jewish believers, from people who had, who had just a couple months before been those who had denied and turned Jesus over to be killed. Yet they're turning and they're believing in Jesus Christ. They're calling upon the name of the Lord. They're calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're being saved. They're being added to the church. Now then, the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gather together. You look at verse 6. talks about the high priest, Annas. Used to be the high priest, very influential figure. And Caiaphas, who is the present high priest, recognize These high priests, this Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, is the very same Jewish council, the very same leaders that Jesus stood in front of just a couple months before. These are the very same priests, these are the very same leaders who handed Jesus over to be crucified. And so Peter is talking to them, and he's standing in front of them, and they they ask Peter— by what power or by what name did you do this? You can kind of understand what, what it means to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, even by the way that, they, the, way that the, the priest phrases it. Where did you get the authority? Who authorized you to preach? Who, who gave you the power to heal? And Peter says in verse 8 that he was filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, think about what's happening here. A little while before, Jesus had stood right in front of these leaders. A little while before, Peter had stood out in the courtyard while Jesus was before these leaders. Just a little while before, these leaders had handed Jesus over to be crucified. So Peter knows what these leaders can do. And yet Peter is now filled with the Spirit. The Peter who had denied that he even knew Jesus. Denied being a follower of Jesus. He stands there and he proclaims the name of Jesus Christ to these people who have his life in their hands. What is it that changed Peter? Saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And now he's been filled with the Spirit of God. That transforms people. That changes people. Now he says, I want you to know, rulers of the people and elders, we are being examined today about a good deed, about some kindness done to a crippled man, that this man has been healed. I want you to understand I want you to know, I want all the people of Israel to know that it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. It is by the name of Jesus Christ, it is by the power of Jesus Christ, by the authority of Jesus Christ, this man has been healed. Now, one of the things you notice at the end of verse 9, it says that the man was healed. That's a perfectly fine translation, but there's one part of it that I don't want you to miss That word for healed is the very same word that is often in other places translated as salvation. When Jesus healed people, he did it as a sign of salvation. When you raise this crippled man who'd been crippled from birth, and you make him walk and you make him go and start leaping through the temple, you show what happens that this is the man who has the power of resurrection. This is the man who has the power to save. And Jesus is showing his power to save, his power to heal, his power to forgive sins by the healing of this crippled man. Back in Luke 5, there was a a man who had been brought to Jesus, who had been paralyzed. And Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. Now there are some Pharisees who are there, and they say, well, how can this man forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, says... So that you may know that the Son of Man, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, has the power to forgive sins, he made that paralyzed man get up and walk. And that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what he's doing here through Peter and John, so that you know that Jesus Christ brings salvation so that you know that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins so that you know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead so that you know that Jesus Christ has been raised, uh, exalted to the right hand of God so that you know that we've raised up this crippled man the same Jesus who healed a paralyzed man in Luke 5 is the same Jesus who's healing a paralyzed man here in Acts 3 and 4 Jesus Christ has the power The Jesus Christ whom you crucified has this power we look at verse 11 this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone this is a, 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 a an allusion to Psalm 118 it's the very same passage that Peter uses in first Peter the stone that the builders rejected the stone that the builders cast aside Chapter 3, Peter talked about how they had despised Jesus, how they had handed Jesus over, how they had asked for a murderer instead of Jesus. Here, Peter is saying, you rejected Jesus. God took the one that you rejected, and he has made him the cornerstone. He has made him the beginning and the foundation of his people. And verse 12 expands on that clarifies what Peter means by that there is no other name under heaven that is in all creation of all that exists there is no other name by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus there is no other name that there is salvation in except the name of Jesus i tell you what this rules out this rules out any idea of religious pluralism That is the idea that there might be some way that a a good atheist or a faithful Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist could be saved. Salvation is only by believing in Jesus Christ. Salvation is only by turning from our other ways of believing, turning from our other beliefs, turning from our other idolatries and believing in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. Now, some some people even are are very innovative. They've even come up with somehow a way that people would be saved through the name of Jesus without consciously believing or even knowing about Jesus. But read the first three chapters that we just looked at. Peter is quite clear. It is only by calling upon the name of the Lord that anybody is saved. It's only by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus that anybody is saved. You cannot be saved without consciously repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved. No one anywhere is saved by by any other means except believing in Jesus Christ. Shockingly few Christians believe this. Many Christians believe that Jesus Christ is a way to be saved. They might believe that Jesus Christ is the best way to be saved. They might believe that Jesus Christ is the most sure way to be saved or that Jesus Christ is the way that a person should be saved, but there might be other ways. That is not what Peter says. Peter says there is no other name, there is no other authority, there is no other power, there is no other name to call upon except the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. I think this is one of the reasons why, maybe even one of the key reasons why. So many of us are so weak and our churches are so weak because we don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, you'll study the Scriptures more. You'll study to know about the real Jesus Christ because the real Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. You'll pray more. You'll pray that people would believe in Jesus Christ. As long as you are hoping that maybe there is some kind of mysterious, imaginary way that people might be saved out there because you think that you're so much more gracious than God then you're not going to pray. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, then you will be praying for people to believe in Jesus Christ. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, we will speak up more. We will know that our neighbor cannot be saved except by believing in Jesus Christ. We will know that our family members cannot be saved except by believing in Jesus Christ. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way then more of us will be willing to go to hard places, to go where people don't know about Jesus Christ so that they can know about Jesus Christ and be saved. We will give more, we will pray more, we will study more, we will do more, we will speak up more ourselves if we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Think that we are weak, the same way as if you cut a nerve to a muscle it almost immediately atrophies it, it weakens it grows small many of us have small spiritual muscles because the nerve of believing Jesus Christ is the only way has been severed we need to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that is healthy believing That is a healthy faith. That is one that gives us boldness the same way that Peter has boldness here. He believes that Jesus Christ is the only way. And even think about, for those who think that there is some other way to be saved, maybe by being a faithful member of some other religion, or maybe just by being a good person, or maybe just through ignorance. Some people think that if you just don't hear about Jesus, you're just automatically saved because people can be saved by not knowing things somehow. Peter is talking to Jewish leaders. Like he's saying to Jewish leaders, you know, you come from this nation that is the visible people of God. And the only way for you to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ. You have the prophets, you have the covenants, you have the promises. The only way for you to be saved is to believe in the one who fulfills those prophecies and fulfills those covenants. And fulfills those promises. The only way to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. No other name, well, What I want you to see next is no other authority. No greater authority. No other name, no greater authority. Three verses 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them, it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And they look at Peter and John, and they recognize Peter and John are uneducated common men. You know, one of the things that Peter said in chapter 3 was, when you see this man healed, I want you to understand it wasn't because of my power or my piety. It was because of Jesus Christ. I think that Jesus Christ chose ordinary common men to highlight the fact that it was the power of Jesus Christ that did all this. He chose fishermen. Jesus Christ was a former builder. Jesus Christ chose tax collectors and semi-terrorists. He chose ordinary men, even worse than ordinary. What changed them? It was being with Jesus. It doesn't mean that education is bad. Paul was educated. And it's apparent that Paul's education as a Pharisee and a rabbi was used by God to spread the gospel. But what makes the difference is not being educated or uneducated. It is having the Spirit of God and knowing the way of Jesus Christ. They were taught by Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Luke 6, everyone, every student when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus Christ wasn't afraid to talk to these priests. Peter's fully trained by Jesus. He's not afraid to talk to these priests. There are some people who are uneducated but not really uneducated. They haven't had the formal education that these High priest expected somebody to have, but they've been taught by Jesus, and they're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is what matters. There are some people who are educated, but who are really uneducated, because they do not have the Spirit of God, and they have not been taught the way of Jesus Christ. What matters is not educated or uneducated. What matters is the Spirit of God and knowing the way of Jesus Christ, following the teachings of Jesus Christ. There is nothing holding you back from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Nothing about your past, nothing about your intellectual capabilities, nothing about your, your education, nothing about your, what you were before, nothing about your former sins. There is nothing keeping you back from being a student of Jesus Christ. There's nothing holding you back from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We make excuses. Let's not make excuses anymore. Let's realize, if we'll stop being lazy and study God's word, we'll grow to be like Jesus Christ. We'll know Jesus Christ. he says they, they recognize who they are, that they are ordinary common men. They see the man who is healed standing in front of them, and look at what that what they say? They they can't say anything in opposition. This man is healed. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. And they can't do anything about it. So they send Peter and John out, and they're going to talk together. And what do they do? Now, here's what they ought to do. They ought to say, when we crucify Jesus Christ... We were wrong. They, they. This is the most logical thing to say. You're, you saw the man. Everybody saw the man. The most logical thing to do is we were wrong. We should not have crucified Jesus Christ. We now see that Jesus is the Christ. We now see that he is the son of God. We are now turning from our old way. We are now believing in Jesus Christ and we're going to Devote ourselves to the teachings of the apostles. That's what they should have said. Here's why they didn't say that. First of all, they would have needed to admit that they were wrong. Human beings don't like to admit that they're they're wrong. People don't like to admit that they're wrong. Here's the other thing they would have needed to do. They would have needed to hand over the power and the prestige that went from with being a priest, with being a leader. People don't like to admit they're wrong. People don't like to give up their power, their prestige. You know what you have to do to become a Christian? You have to confess that you are wrong. That you're a sinner. And not only that, you have to humble yourself. You have to give up whatever power and prestige you have. You have to go and follow Jesus Christ. That's what they should have done. That's the plan that they should have pulled together. The plan that they actually came up with, and this is, this is like dark comedy. The, the plan they actually came up with Let's just tell them not to talk about it anymore. Get this crowd gatherer. You've got 10,000 believers. You've got all these people. Let's just tell them, don't talk about this anymore. And so they bring them back in, and they tell them, don't, don't talk about it anymore. They're standing there, and, and they cannot deny And oh, by the way, I mean, do you recognize that? Not even the opposition can deny the miracle that Peter and John did. Everybody sees it. They didn't, they didn't heal this man of low back pain or acid reflux or migraines, as painful as, and, and serious as those things can be. They healed a man who had been crippled from birth and made him walk and leap into the temple. Everybody saw it. Not even the opposition could oppose it. That's one of the reasons why we should believe that this sign is true. And what this sign signifies is true. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus Christ can forgive sins. It's also the reason why we ought to have a healthy dose of skepticism toward faith healers. Because... According to some reports, there are people who are miraculously healed all over the place. And yet, the number of paralyzed people that anybody actually in person knows as being healed of paralysis is incredibly small. I would say non-existent, but at least incredibly small. That's one of the reasons why we shouldn't be naive and we shouldn't be taken in by hucksters who are seeking their own power and prestige. If you organize a meeting and say, come to me to be healed, that increases your power and prestige, the very same thing that these high priests desire for themselves. So let's believe in the miracles of Peter and John, because nobody can deny it. And let's be careful about what we believe from those who are plainly seeking something for themselves. Anyway, they bring Peter and John in. They say to Peter and John, um, don't tell anybody else. Charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And look at what Peter says in verse 19. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak but speak of what we have seen and heard. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus risen from the dead. We heard Jesus teach.